All right, can we celebrate that one more time? Every life for Jesus is worth, change for Jesus is worth celebrating. That should never get old. It better never get old. Hey, welcome to Trace. My name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. We're incredibly grateful to have each and every one of you with us, whether you're in this room or, where you're watch, or whether you're watching online. Thanks for joining the conversation. But if you are in this room, that means you survived the bomb cyclone of 2019. Give yourself a hand. We're going to print out t-shirts and make a thing about it. It's going to be awesome. All right. Hey, I don't know where you live. I lived up on the north end of town, and we had three to five foot snow drifts. And so a big part of my Thursday was getting out and digging out our driveway around our doors. I couldn't even get one of my doors open. And then once we did that, uh, we took the opportunity to help some of our neighbors get dug out as well. Hopefully you took that opportunity. One of the things we say around here, uh, if you love your neighbor, we believe we, we can change the world. We really do. If you love your neighbor, neighbor we believe we can change the world, and so hopefully you took that opportunity. But after we got everybody dug out, one of the things that a few of the fellas did that live around me is we decided that we were going to get our vehicles out and plow through some of the snow drifts on our street so that some of the lower profile vehicles could get through, or we just wanted to play, one of the two. And so uh, one of my neighbors to the left of me, he has a big F-150 jacked up, you know, it's got a lift kit on it, and then my neighbor across the street He's got a Toyota Tacoma, and it's all jacked up, and then I show up in this right here. And so, hey, do not let this deceive you. This van is all man. And what I mean by that, this baby is packing a V6, 3.2 liter, dual seat heaters, and those little things you pull down in the back so that the sun doesn't come through on the kids. Anyway, I better stop there. If you guys could just pray for me, um, I'd appreciate that. Uh, but it did pretty good. I was actually surprised it has all-wheel drive. So anyway, it's, it's getting sadder if I don't stop here. Um, hey, a couple years ago, Corey and I went to Rocky Mountain National Park on a teaching team retreat. We went up there to kind of brainstorm some different sermon series uh, that we could teach through in the, in the coming year. And if you're new to town, I know there's a lot of people. I've met several people that actually moved into Colorado Springs here recently. If you're new to town, I'd put that on your agenda this coming summer. It's absolutely beautiful place. And so when we were up there, we were driving through uh, Rocky Mountain National Park. And as we're driving through, one of the things that would happen is people would pull over and they would get binoculars out or they'd get their big camera out and they would start looking at something, which kind of was a signal for everybody else to stop and see and look and see what they were looking at. Typically, it would have been like a moose uh, or a big elk, and so we would stop and look, and then Corey and I, or really quick, I should say, if you don't know this, that's actually known as the binoculars effect. It's the binoculars effect. When you see somebody stopping to look at something, pulling out their binoculars or camera, you want to stop and see what they're looking at, and it's the binoculars effect. And so Corey and I uh, decided that this was an opportunity that we couldn't pass up, and so what we would do is we would be driving down the road, and I would slam on the brakes, roll down the, win roll down the window, start pointing out and getting our camera and being like, look, 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 even though there was nothing there. And uh, people were stopping, and they were trying to find what we were looking at, which was nothing. And so this was incredibly immature for two pastors. Um, but we had a really good time doing it. And so, hey, have you ever noticed how two people can be looking in the same direction or be looking at the same thing but come away with two completely different perspectives. Take this picture, for instance. This is a little boy in Haiti, and I've been here before, and this, I think, accurately represents a lot of what that country looks like. And so somebody may look at this picture and say, you know what, here's an opportunity for us to help people that are in need, where somebody else may look at it and say, you know what, these people need to learn how to help themselves. Same picture, two completely different perspectives. I'm pretty sure that we all get this. 
but our perspective is largely shaped by our personal experiences in life, but also our passions. For instance, um, because of my personal experience with health and wellness and because of my passion for health and wellness, one of the things that I allow my staff to do is take off during the work week, during work hours, and to go over to D1 and get a workout in. Because it's my perspective, not everybody, not every boss or employer would agree with this, but it's my perspective, but by allowing them to do that and allowing them to become healthier and more fit, they'll actually be more effective in everything that they do. Now, quick side note, uh, some of us are going to be uh, participating here soon in what's called a Spartan. It's going to be a Spartan sprint on July 14th, and we've created a team called Team Trace. And so if you're interested, our start time is going to be 3 o'clock, and if you get on the Spartan website and sign up July 14th down at Fort Carson, and you put in Team Trace, it will automatically link you to the time that all of us are going to be starting, and we'll you know, create some t-shirts and all that fun stuff that says Team Trace, and so if you love Jesus, you'll do that. All right. That was a complete side note. Uh, guys, today we are concluding in this series called Disciple. And I'm calling this particular sermon a new perspective. And one of the things that we're going to wrestle with today is how our perspective often leads to a certain posture or position. And from that posture and position, that ultimately shapes what we pursue in life. Some examples would be politics and faith and relationships. But for our time today, we're specifically going to invite Jesus to challenge us on the perspective of money. Friends, I think Jesus will make it clear to each and every one of us today that as one of his followers, as one of his disciples, this is not an area that we can afford to get wrong. Because our perspective on money, listen to me, this is huge, our perspective on money is critical to the condition and the devotion of our hearts. This is likely why Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven and hell combined, because he understands better than any of us ever will that our perspective on money, if it goes unchallenged, might lead us to pursuing things and looking for things, specifically looking to find value in things to bring into our life, value that is simply just not there, kind of like the binoculars effect. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I want to encourage you to turn them open or turn them on. Go ahead and find your way over to Matthew chapter 6. And while you're doing that, I'm going to take just a few moments here, and I want to recap where we've been over the last three weeks in this series. On week one, we looked at this verse right here. And one of the things that I did is I challenged this idea of associating ourselves with a title, with a label. In other words, hey, instead of saying we're a Christian, what if we actually describe what we do instead of something that we are? Because Christian has become so ambiguous, because so many people define it so many different ways that it becomes easy. Listen to me. It becomes easy for us to hide behind this title, to hide behind this label of Christianity, whatever that is to whatever person you're talking to in any given moment. And we can hide behind that, leading to a lack of follow-through when it comes to our faith. And now we are not, we, we, and we made this clear, we're not trying to dismiss the word Christian. We're not telling you to dismiss the word Christian, but we're simply saying there's probably a better way to define ourselves. And so we look to the Gospels, and the way that the early followers defined themselves was not as a Christian, but as a disciple. And the reason why that can be more effective and why we taught that that's more effective is because disciple is clearly defined. And when something is more clearly defined, it's easier to demonstrate. And so we clearly define disciple by looking at Luke 9, 23, when Jesus said, hey, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves, 
take up their cross daily and follow me. In week number two, Corey got up here and he talked to us about the cost of being a disciple. And he talked about how grace is free, and we all need to know this, right? If you're new to the church, you especially need to know this. The grace that you're given from God by believing in His Son, Jesus, and recognizing that His Son died on a cross for your sins so that the gap between you and God could be filled, which every one of us need, that that's a free gift. All you need to do is put your faith and trust in Him. So grace is free, but following Jesus? Following Jesus is actually going to cost you. And then Alan last week got up here and he talked to us about how knowing what to do is not the same thing as actually doing it. And so his takeaway for us was this statement right here. Following Jesus is not just about information, and sometimes we have a tendency to do this, don't we? I grew up in one of those churches where it's all about, you know, learn, learn, know the Bible, know the Bible, know the Bible, which is good, and you should, but not at the expense of imitating the very person that we're learning about. Make sense? And so Alan was crystal clear, following Jesus is not just about information. More importantly, it's about imitation. And that leads us to today. So before we jump into Matthew chapter 6, let me take a moment and just set this text up that we're going to be in. In Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, we have what's called the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, Jesus' mountain message. And as we read through these words from Jesus, we begin to see a theme surface. You see, what Jesus is doing throughout the Sermon on the Mount is he's challenging our perspective. Because again, he knows better than anyone that our perspective is going to lead us to a posture and position in life that ultimately will shape what we pursue. So he challenges our perspective on how we treat the poor, on how we view our enemy, on how we pray. He challenges the fact that our faith shouldn't be about doing a bunch of spiritual stuff to gain recognition from other people so that we can seem super spiritual. He challenges how we love and who we should love. He challenges our perspective on the law of Moses, how we should approach day-to-day life and stop worrying about these small things that are insignificant. And then he concludes with this parabolic challenge that could be summed up like this. Knowing the gospel, knowing everything that he's telling us, knowing everything that he's teaching us, knowing the gospel is not enough. It's our pursuit and participation that really matters. Now, sandwiched right in the middle of all of these strong and very clear directives that Jesus gives us, we get to hear his perspective on money. Friends, and for those of us that have, de- that have decided, that have opted in to be a lifelong follower of his, this should be the only perspective that matters. But I'm pretty certain that many of us walked in here today with different perspectives. And friends, what he says about money should cause all of us to stop. Listen to me. To stop and to consider the possibility that our perspective on money could potentially be wrong. And if that's possible, that means it's going to lead us to a position and a posture that's going to shape what we pursue that will probably be something that will lead us away from Jesus himself. So we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. I'm going to break this up into three sections because in the text it's broken up into these three sections. Jesus begins, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, right here we see Jesus dig down on our perspective of money because he knows that what we love the most is going to get the most of us. What you love the most will get the most of you. In short, Jesus is reminding us that we don't take anything with us when we die, right? I mean, it's all going to go back in a box or it's going to go to someone else. And so for those of us that have opted into this life of following Jesus, he wants us to take advantage of our little bit of time and our little bit of opportunity and use it to make kingdom investments, the kind that will surpass all of us shutting our eyes for the very last time. And so in this section, we see Jesus challenge our perspective. In section two, he begins this way. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, when we read this, it's like, is he even talking about money here? This has nothing, it's talking about his eyes and darkness, and like this has nothing to do with money. But most scholars would uh, agree and teach that because of what Jesus says before this section and because of what he says after this section, he's actually still talking about money, but doing so in a metaphoric way. So here's where I want to be careful, because it would be arrogant of me to act as if I know exactly what Jesus is talking about here as he uses this metaphor. But here's what I would suggest, and it is a suggestion, okay? Here's what I would suggest. I think Jesus is talking about greed. Because greed often begins with us seeing things that others have, realizing that we're not content without that. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Man, I wish I could drive those kind of cars. I wish I could live in those kind of houses. I wish I could buy those kind of clothes. Has anybody else been there? Can we just have a transparent moment? Anybody else been there? Because if not, then you're more spiritual than I am, because I was there this past week when I was driving my man van. Okay. Now, we got to be careful here because it is easy to over-spiritualize what Jesus is actually saying. It's okay to have a desire for other things. It's okay to want an F-150 or a Toyota Tundra with four doors, solid black, TRD suspension, lifted 35-inch tires. Shut up and just take my money. But friends, listen to me. When your life starts to feel incomplete without these things, when you start to notice that you're never satisfied with what you have, that's an indicator that somewhere along the way, your perspective has been skewed, leading you to an unhealthy posture and position. And so what you begin to experience is a lust of the eyes. I want more. I need more. I want to take those kind of vacations. I want to drive those kind of cars. I want to live in a house with 10-foot ceilings. And over time, it slowly happens. Listen to me. It slowly happens. It's a slow fade. It slowly happens that stuff begins to define you. And from a kingdom perspective, that makes your heart just a little bit darker. Friends, stuff was never meant to define us. But if we're not careful, if we take on a certain perspective that leads us to a certain posture and position, these things start to consume us and we begin to start pursuing stuff, stuff that might satisfy us for a moment, but it simply will not last. 
This is why Jesus concludes his money talk with us by saying something that's incredibly strong that, like I said before, should cause all of us to stop. Here's how he concludes. He says, no one, everybody say no one, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, a couple of distinctions to make here that I think we just need to pause and spend some time on. This is the only time that we ever see in the life of Jesus where he puts two things side by side and says, you're going to have to choose. Not everybody, but most people, it's going to come down to whether they serve God or whether they serve money, whether they serve Jesus or whether they serve George. And so Jesus puts them side by side and says, guys, you're going to have to choose because you're going to end up hating one and loving the other or being devoted to one and despising the other. You can't do both. You, you, you can't do both. And the fact that this is the only place that we see Jesus do this should cause all of us to lean in. But there's another point of distinction that needs to be made here. Because the Greek word that Jesus uses is a little bit different than your average word for money. When read in the Greek, it would sound like this. You cannot serve both God and mammon. Now, mammon has a more specific definition. Mammon is the God of materialism, the attempt of money to take the place of God in your life. You see, mammon is trying to convince you, hey, I can give you security. I can give you happiness. I can give you power if you want it. I can give you position. I can even give you some opportunity. I can even bring you hope. You see, Mammon's trying to tell you, I'm your identity. Mammon is trying to convince every single one of us that it can do everything that God is saying, no, that's only my job. And so Jesus puts them side by side. You're going to have to choose one because you can't serve both. Maybe now you're starting to see more clearly and why Jesus thought it was so important to challenge our perspective on how we see money because our perspective is going to lead us to a position and a posture that ultimately shapes what and how we pursue things. Now, really quick, I think I need to do this. For the sake of clarity, I need to say this. Money is amoral. Money is neither good or bad. It's all in how you use it. You can use money to do really good things. You can obviously use money to do really bad things. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make more of it. There's nothing even wrong if you have a lot of it. But Jesus wants to make sure that we all understand that there is an enticing nature of money. I think we get this. There's an enticing nature of money that can lead us to an unhealthy pursuit of it and even a love for it. The Apostle Paul talks about this when he's writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now let's pause there for a second, because I hear this verse mistranslated all the time. For the love of money, I've heard it said that money is the root of all evil. Ever heard this? Where people will mistranslate this, but that's not what he says. He says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, and there was a picture that came to mind when I read that. Some people craving money, and I imagine someone who wants to grab everything that they can, everything they can get their hands on and clench their fists. I'm craving it. It's all mine, and it's all for me. It's all for my value and no one else. Craving money. Some people craving money have wandered from the faith. Do not miss the implications of that. Some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. So once again, Jesus puts these things side by side. 
and says, guys, you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to choose. Because you're going to end up hating one and serving the other. And that's where some of you may say, well, I'm good. I mean, Aaron, I don't, I don't serve money. So if that's what this is about, then I'm good. I can just pull my phone out and browse through Facebook for the rest of your talk. But it doesn't start with there. It doesn't start there. It doesn't start with serving money. It starts more subtly. It starts with things like selfishness. Just being a little bit more selfish, which takes away from the selflessness life that God has called us to as a disciple. It starts with just a little bit more greed that takes away from the generous life that we are to be demonstrating. It starts with just a little bit more of a consuming mindset of what can I get for me? How can I take as much out of this for my own benefit instead of thinking of yourself as a contributor? How can I add and make value to the kingdom of God? So Jesus puts them side by side and says, you're going to have to choose. Friends, make no mistake about it. There is a battle over your heart between George and Jesus. There is a battle over your heart between George and Jesus. And this is why Jesus puts them side by side and says, you're going to have to choose. Now listen to me. If you're here today and you have no desire to follow Jesus, feel free to pursue whatever, you're, whatever you want. If he's not your leader, if he's not your Lord, I'm not here to tell you what you're supposed to do. Like That's not the guide. That's not the ruling force in your life. But if you want to follow Jesus, you're going to have to start looking at George differently because what we love the most is going to get the most of us. And if you struggle to let go of George, you're going to struggle to let in Jesus. To break this conversation down into its most simplest form, I think it comes down to the posture of either being a consumer or a contributor. We either look at all of our stuff and say, hey, it's mine, I can do whatever I want to with it, pastor. Why are you telling me what I'm supposed to do? Or we can understand from a perspective of a steward, which is, God, this is not mine. Everything that I have is yours. You've entrusted it to me for a little bit of time and given me a little bit of opportunity to use it in a way that would honor you, that would far surpass me closing my eyes for the very last time. And so we would take the posture of a contributor instead. Friends, you can consume for the rest of your life if you want. That's your choice. Jesus says those treasures will fade away. Or you can take the posture and position of a contributor and use your little bit of time and your little bit of opportunity to make a lasting difference for God's kingdom. And to circle this all the way back around to our series that we've been in called Disciple, here's the most succinct way that I know how to say it. And it's our one thing for today. Friends, a disciple simply doesn't consume. A disciple contributes. And now that we're all a little bit uncomfortable, let me take a time out. It's possible that some of you, a couple of you, I've walked in here today, and this is your very first Sunday, and you're like, great, I came in on the money talk. I get it. I'll never apologize for teaching on this, because Jesus talks about it more than heaven and hell combined, which means we probably should talk about it. But at the same time, I want to be sensitive to where you're at. See, some of you walked through that door today, and you came in, and maybe the best way that you could describe your heart right now is that it feels dried up. Maybe you feel broken, been bruised up along the way. Life's not been too good to you. 
And so you came in here and you just maybe even feel defeated right now. And maybe this is not what you need to hear. And so I want to talk to you specifically. If you need to come and sit and just soak here for a season, we absolutely welcome you to do that. This is the kind of place that this is and the kind of place that we're always going to be. The best way that I've learned how to illustrate this before in the past is like a sponge. A dried up sponge, right? You think of a dried up sponge, it starts to shrivel up and it really has no, it becomes sometimes hard as a rock and it has no purpose. Maybe that's a representation of where your heart is right now. Not to say that you don't have any purpose because I don't want to insinuate that at all, but I think you can understand this illustration. Where your heart becomes dried up and you just feel like there's nothing coming out of you that is of any use. And so I I hope that you come here and you feel the love and compassion of the culture that we've created here. And that you would start to feel what we take very seriously in Galatians 6 where it says that we want to carry one another's burdens because in that we feel like we'll fulfill the law of Christ. And that you'll start to experience that love and the compassion and the mercy and the grace of God. And as that happens, your heart begins to take on a new shape, just like a sponge does that's been dried out but starts to be refilled once again. It takes on a new shape and then it has a new purpose and it can be poured out and it can be used for something. And so maybe for you, you need to come and you just need to sit and soak and you're absolutely welcome to do that. But at some point, I would still challenge you to not just be a consumer, but to be be a contributor. Now, for those of you that have been coming for a while, uh, I hope that I've built up enough relational equity with you to give you this challenge. It's time to stop consuming. It's time to stop consuming, and it's time to become a contributor to what God is doing here. Maybe that's with your time and that you start serving, and I think that would be great, but I want to specifically challenge you to honor God with your treasures because where your treasure is, there your heart there your heart will also be. Today, when we witness that baptism, uh, that equals 95 baptisms that we've had in two and a half years of ministry here at Trace. Yeah, you can <laughs> applaud that. And countless other stories of people that are experiencing life transformation in this place. And so I want to ask you something. I just want you to wrestle with it. I want you to wrestle with it this question, is there any other place right now that you're investing your money that is helping to change more lives and win more souls for Jesus? Because if there's not, friends, I think this is a worthy investment. So let me wrap this up by talking to you about something that my team and I got to experience a couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, we had a gentleman in our church who uh, took us through a three-day intense assessment called StratOps to recognize where we are as a church and ultimately where we want to go. And we determined a lot of things. I mean, it was three full days. We determined a lot of things out of this three-day intense assessment. But I want to share three specific things with you today that we want to accomplish in this next year as a church. The first one is this. We want to adopt an at-risk school. One of the things we determined is we're not involved enough in this city. As a church, we're not involved enough in the city, and we want to get more involved. And I've been meeting with different city leaders and civil leaders around uh, Colorado Springs, and one of the best ways that I think we can make a lasting difference in this city is by adopting a school, specifically an at-risk school. The second thing that we want to do is we want to put together a tragedy response team. This past week, um, I did our first funeral as a church. And the fact that I haven't had to do any other funerals in two and a half years of doing ministry is actually a really good thing. 
But one of the things that surfaced when I was preparing and trying to help this family as we were putting together this funeral is that we didn't have a plan in place to love on families well going through extreme loss. My team will tell you I've been talking to them about this. Never again. Never again. And so maybe some of you can help us put together this tragedy response team, whatever that looks like. Many people from the last service uh, came up to me and told me that they were interested. If that's something you're interested, we'll get you plugged in. But there was somebody, <clears throat> i got to make it through this. <clears throat> there was a young lady who came up to me afterwards, and she just lost her husband to suicide two, two weeks ago. And she talked about how um, she was just lost. And she didn't know what to do. And somebody, one person from our church reached out to her and knew her and brought her here and they were doing their best to love on her and take care of her. But friends, that's what the church is supposed to do. And so we need to be better prepared. That's on me. <clears throat> this next thing is actually really exciting, so I can't cry when I share it. <clears throat> We determined that there's a unique opportunity in Colorado Springs right now. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but we're the second fastest growing city in the nation, second to Austin. Uh, we're the fastest growing city for millennials uh, right now, and we've hit a lot of other top 10 lists. This city's blown up. We've grown by 100,000 people in the last year and a half. There's opportunity here, unlike any other, if you ask me. And so one of the things we determined is we're going to change our vision statement, not our mission statement, our vision statement. And we want to plant a trace church within 15 minutes of everyone in the city. And if you've ever uttered the words, don't we have enough churches in this city? Like, shut up. Don't ever say that again, okay? Uh, and here's why. No, we don't. Again, I meet with different church leaders around the city quite often, actually, and one of the things that we determined in one of our gatherings was if everybody in Colorado Springs decided one day that they wanted to go to church, our you know, places of worship would only be able to house 5% of the city's population. We need more churches, and I'm a little biased, but I think we need more trace churches. Churches that are willing to embrace the tension between truth and grace, to extend hope when, <clears throat> when life hurts. And so we want to plant a trace church within 15 minutes of everyone in the city. Guys, we need your help. We need your help. We will never be able to pull this off with a perspective that says, all I have is mine. A posture that says, I will never be content until I get more stuff in a pursuit of George over Jesus. But what if, what if, what could we accomplish if we had the perspective of a steward? God, all I have is not mine. All I have is yours. You've entrusted it to me for a given amount of time, and I can take my little bit of time and my little bit of opportunity, invest it in such a way that's going to make a lasting difference far beyond my, my little life here. What if we took the posture of a disciple? Lord, I can be content with less if it means I can give more to your kingdom. What could we accomplish if we chose to pursue Jesus above all else? And that leads me to this last verse, and I'm closing with this. I want you to say this with me when we get there. Now to him who is able to do what? That's what's possible. That's what's possible. Immeasurably more. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that is at work within Trace Church. Let me pray for us. Father, 
God, I, I pray that you take the information that you've put on my heart to share and you allow it to settle and rest within the hearts of people in this room in a way that, that they need it. They need, maybe some people need to be challenged. Maybe some people need to be encouraged. Whatever that looks like. And God, I know it's very possible that I communicated something today. And I get it, God. There's going to be a lot of people in here and they're, man, they've been a part of churches that have very much abused this subject and manipulated with this subject. And so, God, that's, I've done my best to steer away from that and I hope I've been successful. But if any of this information has landed in an unhealthy way, God, would you help them to steer around um, the looseness of my words and help them to arrive at truth? And so, Father, I pray that as we go, get ready to go into this time of response, uh, Lord, that you would help us to navigate this subject and to make sure that we know what perspective that we've started with, because that's going to lead us to a posture and a position that ultimately is going to shape what we pursue in this life. And so if our perspective needs to be challenged, will you challenge it? And so, God, we invite you into this moment. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.